My Mother, The Person and the Patient is an original podcast written and hosted by me, Fortuna Cuso. This podcast is about my mother, Timira Abdusamit Muhammad, Ayaya we call her, and that's the Somali word for grandmother, and her great-grandchildren call her Ayaya too, and that is their way of saying great-grandmother. One of the challenges that came with being a caregiver to my mother for the last 11 years is finding time for myself, time to take care of myself. Everywhere I turn, whether it's social media or social workers I talk to or colleagues or family members or relatives, what I hear is self-care. You have to take care of yourself. But nobody has ever really sat down with me and explained to me how I can do that because I work full time and I am my mother's caregiver. So, and I'm paying somebody out of pocket to be with my mother during the day while I'm at work. And I get two to three nights, depending on if they could fill it, where I get four hours of respite care for somebody to come and be with my mother. Even within that respite care, one of the respite care providers, they don't allow their personal support workers to administer medication unless the patient themselves can put the medication in their mouth. So I have to be there for that medication. And also, since my mother cannot really move, she is two-person left. If I leave my home when the worker comes in, whether that means I go for a walk or I go meet with friends, then I need to be back in the house half an hour, 40 minutes before the shift is done. So sometimes it doesn't really even pay off for me to leave the house because if, for example, the worker that cannot administer medication is at my house and they came four o'clock and I left, then I have to be back by six or before six o'clock in order for me to make sure that my mother had her medication with her supper. And then I have to be around 7.30, 7.20 to help the worker get my mother moved from the wheelchair to the bed. So you could see I'm almost attached to my house. And even when I have workers that are allowed based on their agency regulation that to administer medication, and they came four o'clock, I still have to be back by seven o'clock, 7.30 to help the worker move my mother out of the wheelchair into her bed. It took me a long time to gather the idea because I was on this mindset that in in order for me to provide myself any kind of self-care, I needed chunk of time. I needed an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. So that was one issue. Another issue is I myself had a problem for the longest time in letting go and allowing other people to come in and take over in my mother's care. It was almost like I was in the mind frame or the belief that I have to do everything for my mother. I wasn't maybe trusting other people. Maybe I had a hero complex. I don't know what my issue was. I don't know what the situation was. But for years, even when I had somebody else in the home, 
I would be involved. And then my mother would not respond to the person and she would call on me all the time. And if my mother called my name, even if I was in a different part of the house, I would come in when she called me, not realizing she doesn't really even know if I was there or not. So it took me a long time to get to these points. And the three points I got is A, I cannot do everything for my mother. I can organize it. I can make sure things are done well. I can make sure her dinner is ready for somebody to give it to her. I can uh, make sure that the food is cooked in advance. But that doesn't mean I am putting the food in my mother's mouth. I don't have to be the one doing everything for my mother. I can actually supervise it and organize it and let some of the responsibilities go. So that was the first thing. The second thing I realized was to assess how important a task is. For example, if I had a sink full of dirty dishes after we ate, does that mean I have to wash those dishes right then if I need to rest or get to bed early tonight so I could wash it next morning? So I had to learn how to assess the tasks before me and decide what tasks that needed to be done right away, like feeding my mother, giving the medication to her. Doing the dishes, sweeping the floor, unloading the dishwasher, all those need to get done at some point, but they are not things that need to get done right now. So that's the second thing I learned. And then the third thing I learned is if there is a work that needs to be done, is there somebody else that could do that work besides me? Does the work have to be done by me? For example, if I need to go to the pharmacy and become my mother's prescription, that is a work that I have to do. If there is new symptoms that I need to share the doctor with or the nurse, that should be me calling. But if it or changing the bed sheets, is that something that I have to do? Those three things is to know I don't have to do everything for my mother. I can actually have other people take some of the responsibility. And the second thing is everything does not have to be done right away, right then. Some things that are not important, that are not crucial can wait. And the third thing is to assess everything that is this task, a task I have to do it, or is this something that somebody else can do instead of me? And that has made all the difference. When you listen to how we arrived at my mother's diagnosis and what followed, it's so easy to see her just as the patient, to see her as nothing more than the disease that reduced her to shell of her old self. But I want also to tell you about my mother, the person, the fierce woman that told her stories unapologetically, celebrating the beautiful parts and harsh realities equally. I want to share with you the stories she told us about her life as a girl growing up in a small village, the tales that marked her adulthood. I want to share with you all her losses and the ultimate winnings. The following chapter is one of those stories reconstructed from my childhood memory.
sound of retching coming from her parents' room startled Timira. She rushed to her parents' room and saw Faduma on the bed, bent over her nightdress covered with undigested pieces of last night's dinner. Timira's father, his face creased with what seemed like a deep worry, held Faduma's hair away from her face and whispered consoling words. Her father turned to her when he saw her. Close the door. What? The sharpness of his order brought her back to the reality that she didn't even knock on the door. She doesn't want them to know. Her father's words came to her like a whisper, not until she's ready. Timura left the room and ran to the water well. She filled the large metal pail. On her way back, she closed the door to the house and the one to her parents' bedroom behind her. As her father had instructed, she was determined to shield her stepmother from other women hearing her. Timura placed the water next to Fadumo, went behind the bed and pulled the dress and a clean towel out of the wooden chest. Timura and her father helped Fadumo clean and change Thank you for being so kind to her, her father said. Of course, she said. She is my stepmother. I can leave knowing you will take care of her, her father said to her the first few mornings before he went to the field to plant and check the crops. You have nothing to worry about, Timira said in the most grown-up way she could. With that, her father smiled and on his face was the brightest smile she'd seen for a long time. That day, Timira realized that being there for her stepmother meant making her father happy. That was worth so much to Timira that her role in the house took a new meaning. Fadima kept her pregnancy a secret, and Timura did most of the chores, grinding the millet, making the bread, cooking the meals, and cleaning became her chores almost overnight. That helped her stepmother stay in her room for most of the day, so no one saw her get sick. Why are you working so hard? Marian was the first woman to ask Timura. The days of her reporting on her stepmother were over. Now she was in a protection mode. Because I want to. This is another woman's home. And she is not your mother. And Bea added. Her father was right. They weren't rejecting Fadumo for Timur's benefit. They had their reasons for doing it. And she wasn't interested in playing along anymore. This is my family, Timura responded. Still, they continued to pepper her with questions. What is she doing in the room instead of coming to the yard and grinding the millet or making the bread? One woman or another would ask when they saw Timura carrying the water. What woman lets a stepchild do all the work while she lays in bed? The questions were uttered Timura believed to turn her against Fadumo. But they didn't work, not when her father's joy depended on helping her stepmother. The way her father emerged from the field, 
the same smile he'd left with the morning still dancing upon his face was enough to keep Timiro committed, watching her father go to town with the other men, conducting his business, all her anger and resentment toward Fatima melted away. The dread that filled her chest when she first saw her became a deep connection. She felt for and with her stepmother. By the end of the fourth month, Fatima had grown twice her normal size. One glance at her, and everyone knew she was pregnant. And the woman stopped badgering Timiro and turned their gossip elsewhere. By the time her seventh month began, Fatima needed help to get out of a chair and bed. She wobbled when she walked. Timiro and her father often feared she would topple over her feet. Let me help you. Timiro's father offered one of those nights. Not to the outhouse. Fatima sounded incensed that her husband would offer to accompany her while others in the village gawked at her. She hated their glares. Do you want them to mock us more than they already do? This was the first time Timiro heard her stepmother use so many words simultaneously. Unlike her mother... Fatima was a woman of few words. It doesn't have to be me. Timur's father spoke as if his wife's words had hurt him, and he couldn't understand why she was upset with him. Timur is right here. I see no reason why she couldn't help. I don't want anyone to think I can't carry my child. The way Fatima spoke surprised Timur. The thing they say about your late wife. Timiro knew her stepmother didn't like how other women spoke to her. But she didn't realize the comments about her mother bothered Fatima. Timiro thought those would make her feel like she was a better wife to Timiro's father than her mother was. Timiro and her father locked eyes. Perhaps he was thinking the same thing she was. Fatima was a better person than they thought. They will talk no matter what we do, Timur's father said. I just want you to be safe. I don't know why I can't walk normally like all the other pregnant women. Things only made sense when the midwife Timur's father hired came for one of her regular visits and told them Fatima was carrying twins. Two months later, her stepmother gave birth to a healthy boy and a girl. With the birth of the twins, a blessing to her family, the pain of losing her brother, mother and baby boy didn't disappear, but the feeling lost its sharp edges. It didn't dig into her flesh as it had done before the birth of her younger siblings. She didn't forget the ones they lost. Of course she didn't. That wasn't possible. Instead, she learned to live with the pain and hurt of the loss a little less. The spots in her heart where they resided remained permanently theirs. But she began to find joy despite the missing family members. 
The baby's giggles brought the beautiful smile back to her father's face. Farah took to his younger sister. She was the only family member he'd spoken to since the silence of the three deaths descended upon him. The year Timur turned 18, things began to change. The shift from ordinary to something unknown came at Timur slowly and assumingly. It was so gradual, she didn't know when and how it began. The only turning point she could identify was set in motion after her 17th birthday. Her two friends, Ali and Ambia, got married that year and left the village for the homes of their new husbands. Timira didn't feel the loss of their departure at first. In the joy of the latest addition to her family, hugging them goodbye near the bus depot in the market didn't trouble her as much as it did later. The departure was temporary, she reminded herself, when the inkling of missing them approached the surface of her feeling. She'd expected them to hate the two cities they'd relocated to. They would soon miss their homes and families and return. She comforted herself. The same thing happened to her. Like her, they were village girls, and the evil that inhabited cities would soon push them back to the familiar place of home. Timiro came back, and indeed they would come back too. They had to. They must. As one month led to another, loneliness set in. Her dream of reuniting with her friends faded until it was dashed when they visited toward the end of their first year. They spoke of the marvel of city life, the joy of indoor plumbing. You could take a shower any time, Ambiya said when Timira saw them on their first visit. There are farmer's markets where you can buy anything your heart desires, Alia added. Why would I come back? Ambiya said when Timira asked if she planned to return home. For what? Alia asked, but she didn't seem to be waiting for an answer. To the outhouse instead of indoor plumbing? Sitting on the grinding stone for an hour instead of going to the mill and getting your bread dough ready in minutes? They went on and on, listing all the luxuries they had in the city. Some of those Timira was familiar with. But others, like seeing a moving picture, were foreign to her. Nothing here for us, they said in unison, cementing their reasons for choosing the city. They stayed for a week on each of their visits. As the time of their leaving neared, they moved with light steps. Their smiles grew broader and brighter for every minute that moved them closer to saying goodbye to the village and Timira. After that, Timira had accepted the loneliness and restlessness that set in. The happiness with the change in her family lost its ability to keep her grounded. She wanted something her home couldn't offer, even though she didn't know what that was. 
She only knew the village was too small to contain her desires. She needed to do something different, to experience the same joy she had seen on her friends' faces. Perhaps her profound loss closed her eyes to all that existed in the city. Timiro struggled to find a way forward, but never entertained the idea of getting married again. Finding a husband as a way out of the village had never entered her mind. Look at that! Her stepmother nudged her and pointed to a man in the market one day when they went to shop. Handsome, isn't he? It was a question from her stepmother. Don't you think? No, I don't, Timira said. But that was a lie. The man's physical appearance intrigued her. Tall and lean, his skin glistened under the afternoon sunlight. I know you don't, her stepmother giggled. My mother... The person and the patient can be found in Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to follow, like, and share, and join me next week as I share with you another episode of my mother's journey as both the person and the patient. Thank you.